Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo. And today I'm, I have two guests. Uh, guest number one. Uh, hi, it's me, Carlo. No, you <laughs> got to do that again. I'm sorry. Okay. Hey, guys, it's me, Pete. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> Just an amazing impression of your voice, Pete. I practice. Uh, and, and guest number two, reveal yourself. Hello, it's me, Kurt. I've been giving myself the Lemmy treatment. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I my, you know where my brain went to as soon as I found out that the distinguished Lemmy Kilmister was in this uh, in Hawkwind. Uh, it went to that Airheads uh, <laughs> Airheads dialogue where I was like, I was going to say R.I.P. Lemmy, but trick question, motherfucker. Lemmy <laughs> is God. He cannot die. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so folks, we are doing another episode of Podside Radio that is focusing on Hawkwind and specifically Hawkwind's album Do Remy Fasol Ido. Uh, and you had picked this one out, Kurt, right? Yes. Yes, I did. I did indeed. Um, yes, you did. The, the uh, reason being. Was- Sorry, go ahead. Oh, go, go, no, 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 no. I was just, I, you were you were headed just as a natural podcaster yourself. You're headed in the direction I was going. So, oh, oh, okay. So, uh, the the reason is, um, so Hawkwind, you know, and we can talk more. I think about the history of the band or or its characteristics. Uh, uh, but this album from 1972 was really the album i think it was yeah it was the third album from hawkwind was really the album that cemented them as a science fiction band much more so than a space rock or psychedelic rock band um it was where they really started uh directly drawing from uh new wave sci-fi and fantasy influences um it's where uh it's where lemmy joined the band it's it has a bunch of of adaptations of uh of a few uh of, of a few works that we've covered uh on mm-hmm. on podside actually um i don't believe that michael moorcock was personally involved in this album but in the next album he has uh, a bunch of songwriting um uh, mm-hmm. credits for contributing lyrics um so yeah i was, is, I was yeah I was surprised by that because he he became like uh like directly involved with them along with uh the the now uh infamous famous notorious I'm not sure Stacia uh, yes <laughs> which we can get into a little bit later uh, after we cover the basics which is the album so yeah but I- but just just like for 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 like real, real quick like we we talked about you know oh we should talk about Hawkwind in our concept album um uh, episode and I'm actually kind of glad that we didn't because it, it occurred to me after after I made that passionate case for them that Hawkwind really they, they I guess they technically do have like one or two concept albums but most of their well known sci fi albums are not actually concept albums they're just albums with a bunch of different songs about sci fi stuff and and sci fi sh- short stories sorry for interrupting you oh no <laughs> no no, no. May, I I have a question to ask you guys about this. How long were you aware of Hawkwind before it dawned on you that the name wasn't actually Hawk Moon? Oh. <laughs> um, I think so. I, I knew about Hawkwind before I knew about Michael Moorcock. Um, so I think because that's 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 what that would be a reference to. Right. Or am I completely misreading that? 
Yeah, no, that exactly. Yeah, uh, Hawk Moon's one of the eternal champion dudes. And in right. fact, I had a conversation with my wife not four days ago where I was like, "Yeah, you know, uh, the, this this band they've been around for ages." Uh, Hawkwind, they're based off of Michael Moorcock character. So, like, I've been carrying around this bullshit for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in your defense, so has Hawkwind. Uh, although, you know, different different bullshit, but they have certainly carried it for a long time. So I I think it's a fair conflation to make. Like, like you were right, just not, not in the particulars, but you were right where it counted. Fair enough. <laughs> That's where so, I'd rather uh, be right. <laughs> technically right um so kurt uh, can can you perhaps differentiate between uh like what you said space rock versus like what uh hawkwind was doing starting with this album which is more sort of like a science fictional theme to whatever they were doing because it, it they they do sort of have a, a variety of different styles too right yeah, yeah, okay. So so brief history of Hawkwind. Um Hawkwind was founded in I believe 1968, maybe early 1969. Nice. Um uh basically as a like late psychedelic rock um band. So by like the late 60s early 70s that kind of early wave of psychedelic rock was kind of starting to peter out and give way towards like heavy metal and punk and or, or you know er, er punk or 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 punk I I guess you would pronounce it. Um but but it w- it was kind of a weird um now is the time of monsters moment where like it was kind of between big big genres you know Prague was Prague was coming up psychedelic was kind of going away um and there were a few different things that were kind of um grasping to be the inheritor of the psychedelic music scene and uh prog rock uh w- you know which which would ultimately give us things like genesis and pink floyd and so on uh, you know, King King Crimson um, would would pr- probably arguably become the the eventual standard bearer that most people re- remember. But around the same time, um, you had a lot of bands uh, that were becoming fascinated with um, science fiction and space. In a general sense. So if you look back at, you know, David Bowie's uh, early hits, he has mm-hmm. a couple that are directly about, you know, about about space, you know, ground control to Major Tom. It's about like the fascination of space. You had a few uh, um, you had like early space and uh, sci fi themes in like early Pink Floyd. Um, you had uh, bands like Gong um, and it was kind of like. It was kind of like a like a collision of the interest in space and cosmic themes with kind of the styles of psychedelic. Um, and that's very much where Hawkwind started was as kind of like like a late psychedelic coming into space rock. So like their first album really kind of sounds more like folk psychedelic type music. It's got a little bit of that that, you know, early like pre-punk sound. Their second album is has a bunch of stuff about 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 space. It's a good album, and it's just kind of like generally uh, about space. Actually, even even Black Sabbath um, on their first album or two had some space songs like uh, Planet Caravan. Um, so it, it was it was like a pop. It, it was like something in the air about like space. We need to write about space. Um, but I mean, the 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 moon the the space program and the and the moon program and yeah 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 it was guessing, it was like this yeah. whole well of potential of like wow like you know that where it's not it's not like a spiritual change like you know the age of Aquarius beginning instead it's like a scientific you know change where we're 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 taking to the stars. Um, I mean, I would I would also point out that I think that this is as you're you're mentioning there is a melding of those two. Uh, with what we're we're going to be talking about here with this album, right? A little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where where it's it's not just it's not just space. It's it's like it's it's cosmic, right? Mm-hmm. It's like there's like there's like a ritualistic or I, I mean no no uh, no accident that um, 
one of uh, Hawkwind's albums is literally called Space Ritual, where it's like a blending of science and magic. It's the sense of like, Mm -hmm. how do we merge the kind of like, you know, spiritual themes of mankind with our scientific destiny? You even get a little bit of that in, in, um, you know, uh, Major Tom. Uh, and, and and so on, where it's kind of this sense of like, you know, you're leaving the earth behind and going on to another realm. So it's very, you know, like 2001. Yes. Um, but then at some point, um, Hawkwind's uh, uh, front man and, and chief uh, songwriter, whose name I'm I'm totally suddenly blanking on. What the hell is his name? Um, is this it, is really is obvious. Brock? Uh, Robert Calvert. Um, okay. Was was very into science fiction um and started with this album their third album in 72 like just being like why don't we adapt some science fiction stories um almost kind of paralleling a similar thing that was going on elsewhere in british music with like led zeppelin of being like let's just make some songs about hobbits dude (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so and so to to me that is the shift is it's it's going it it is still holding on to that kind of like that spacey ritual fantasy element but you also start getting into like straight up just like zelazny adaptations and this like post apocalyptic pre punk like 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 aesthetic where it's like there's urban decay it's almost like a judge dread type type atmosphere that they start getting into it gets much more down to earth much more like science fictiony so there's sort of a my father's axe problem with this band in that <laughs> there there have been 48 members. And I mean, there, there's one guy that's a constant, right? And it's, I mean, is he sort of the spiritual center of the band or is he just like the most determined? I think it's fair to say that um so so robert calvert passed away in the late 80s um i i I think it's fair to say that he was the spiritual center of the band um but i think as you see with a lot of these bands um there was a moment when they had lots of spiritual centers so like you know lemmy was the main vocalist on a bunch of their biggest hits with his very lemmy vocals you know which which was just like (laughs) like like a funny thing to say not not someone who you would think of as like you know a a vocalist but that that was really where he got his start in in singing you had um you know robert calvert who was kind of like you know, he was the one who was really focusing on like the songwriting and the styles. And then you have Dave Brock, who is the sole survivor that, that, that you mentioned. So I think in this period, you have a bunch of people who are all contributing as equals. And then as time goes on, you know, Lemmy gets kicked out of the band. Eventually Robert Calvert passes away and you just kind of have uh, Dave Brock. Um, but in this moment, I, I think you have it being pulled in lots of different directions. Interestingly, you know, like like Lemmy definitely contributes the weird kind of working class, like biker aesthetic to, to, to the band, which I think you lose later on. So. Hmm. All right. And uh, actually, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this this album that we're going to be discussing, Doremi Fasolatito, uh, is. Uh, I'm sorry. I have to say it that way. I'm sorry. I, I that's the only way. Like I, I realized <laughs> what it was. Like I was like Doremi Fasola. Wait a second. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> well, I could go through the entire you know like song if we wanted to get like a takedown because I'm now singing like some Disney property. Uh, uh, anyway, the. What I was going to say is that this this album has Lemmy's first uh, actual composition in it mm-hmm. at the end. Do do we want to talk about the individual tracks or like do do a little lead in and maybe um, talk about them and maybe have uh, people listen in to a little bit? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I, I think I think you know like the title track or not not the title track the like lead off track is is a good one. I think I think Lord of Light. And spaces deep are definitely good ones to to talk mm-hmm. about. Um, you know, given that they are the ones that are directly adapted from science fiction pieces, and we can maybe we can talk a little bit about kind of like the imagery and and the lyrics a little bit, maybe. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. So uh, I, I do have to say that, Kurt, um, like I think uh, Brainstorm is the title, not the title track, the leader, leading track. See, I, I did the exact same thing you did, Kurt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the lead-in track, and uh, and and I have to admit that uh, I have not been able to get that damn song out of my head. Uh, damn song because it's great. Uh, more more of a me problem than anything else. Um, do you want to give me a little bit of description as to what this one's all about? Do you have some notes on this one, Kurt? Uh, I I I don't I don't really. I, I think it's kind of about like a like a. Psychic paranoia. It it feels like it's. It, I I don't really have like a strong, uh, like a strong like interpretation of it. I, I think I think like a lot of Hawkwind's songs around this time, it's kind of about, it's it's about trying to grapple with modernity and kind of grasping at the sense of like your mind and yourself trying to adapt to modern life and the constraining of humanity. Much like a lot of the science fiction of kind of like the early seventies, I, I, I would say. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it it also is uh, as part of the um, as part of the uh, the opening imagery. It's also about like taking off, like in the lyrics. So literally in the lyrics, somebody's taking off uh, as part of the brainstorm. So um, let's uh, let's uh, get a little listen to that. Uh, honestly, this one has been very stuck very much in my head. So here we go. Yeah, that, that one just has a real energetic track, uh, like a energetic uh, beat to it. I don't know. It just gets you fired up. It also, um, one of the things that uh, it reminded me of right away, I was like, wait, I was expecting like Hawkwind to be like, sort of like, you know, acoustic guitar and sort of like flutes or, you know, like something <laughs> Ren Faire. <laughs> I was like, what? what am I listening? This sounds like punk or something. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's uh, so so Pete, you know, you're I I I feel like you you have the cred here. Do you have anything that you want to say about about kind of like punk and Hawkwind and and sci-fi cuz I'm I'm a Johnny come lately, honestly. I've only been listening to Hawkwind for a few years. I'm a little so. afraid that I have the cred here actually. Um <laughs> So, I mean, one of the things I would say is that um this is a band Particularly, like I, I haven't listened to later albums, uh, but I, I have listened to the earlier ones. And what I get the sense of is one of the things that makes them interesting up front, um, in addition to their focus on on science fiction, is uh, the I don't know what you call it, but instrument limitations. Like what you could do in the late 60s and early 70s isn't the same as what you can do now. Like you can make any sound you want now. And so you end up with sort of a, uh, I don't know, like a, a Meridian meets Jethro Tull meets, um, I don't know, a, a, a small fraction of Rush. I mean, you, you sort of get you get a very unique sound where you're trying to be futuristic on an on a on a 60s organ, you know? Yeah, that's a really that's a really good call. And I mean, this th this does have synthesizers in it, you know, like like early synthesizers. And it gives that interesting, especially in in that track brainstorm. It's got that like kind of like almost like a wind sound with like a when it also kind of has like rising and falling tones. Thank you for saying that, because I, I I was afraid to say, hey, I thought I heard synthesizers in there because I was wasn't 100 percent on that, but had like. That makes sense. Like this is a band who would do that as soon as they possibly could. And and that that in itself, 
you know, I think kind of makes them a sci-fi band for the time. Like that was, that was unique, right? Like, you know, this is, we're talking about an era when, you know, people were grappling with like, is a synthesizer a real, like a real instrument? Um, there was a real kind of like panic to some degree in like, you know, is synthesized music real, real music, which is funny now because like, you know, in, in the standards of the early seventies, all music now may as well be synthesized to the amount of, you know, digital production that, that we have in it. Whereas they were literally trying to play this stuff, you know, live with maybe a little bit of sampling and a little bit of like overdubbing uh, be, behind it. So that in and of itself kind of gives it like a weird um, sci-fi quality where like they were literally trying to embrace the future of musical instruments as they were trying to also embrace, you know, the future of, of man. Yeah. Yeah. It's if I were being uncharitable and I'm not, I think this is good stuff, but if I were being uncharitable, it's like when you're reading foundation and everybody pulls the slide rules out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah, very much so. And it, it is, it is funny listening to it now because, you know, we, we, we've talked a lot, I think, in other episodes about like retro futures. And this is almost like a musical retro future where, you know, like have I have you ever gone back and listened to like the Moog albums where it's like just somebody fucking around on a Moog? <laughs> I love that idea so much. And it's like, and it's like, wow, this is like really cool. But at the time, it's like, wow, this is the future. And now it's like, wow, this is 1974. <laughs> well, it, it you you just reminded me of something. It's like listening to you remember the um the soundtrack to like at least in the in the movie uh, A Clockwork Orange, the the sort of like the synthesized uh, Beethoven tracks and stuff like that, it just with this weird sort of almost calliope sound synthesized into it, and you're like, what the fuck am I listening to, and why is this the future? And to be clear, that was that was Wendy Carlos, who was a a Moog synthesizer pioneer um and she would ah. also go on to do uh tron's soundtrack um so that's good, right that's right good pull um yeah that's that that that's a perfect example of it's like yeah this is the future of music we're doing something weird and off-putting and different and like can you even call this music you know like what is this even um wendy carlos an absolutely fascinating um person uh she's still with us uh and um if you go on on youtube um, so she, she was very interesting because she, she actually, um, she, she's, uh, a, a trans woman. Um, and she, she went through a, a very public, uh, transition in like the early to mid seventies. Um, and if you go back and it's, it's, you know, so like, it was like covered in, in newspapers, um, a, a truly like courageous person. Um, and if you go back, uh, and watch some of there's like, there's videos on YouTube where she talks about her process of, of composing. And it's absolutely fascinating. You know, she's working on these like huge banks of, of, you know, computers. Um, and it's just, it's like mesmerizing watching her, you know, assemble music from, you know, spinning knobs and dials just as it would have been fascinating at the time. Um, and I don't, I don't actually, I, I couldn't actually find much information on, the like equipment that that Hawkwind was using, but you know they they were absolutely going through something similar of being like, hey, there's these weird, uh, these weird new musical instruments, and we can we can use them to do weird stuff. Um, Michael Moorcock called them barbarians with electronics. <laughs> <laughs> I I have a well, I'm gonna call it a related anecdote because I think it's interesting and kind of funny. If you'll bear with me, so uh, Kurt, you're familiar with wax tracks, right? Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah. So one of the things I found out about wax tracks really within the last two months of digging around is that signature sound that made the revolting cocks in front 242 early ministry and even to a much lesser extent nine inch nails. They had bought the best uh, synthesizing and recording studio money could buy, which was basically uh, uh, like a solid state computer from Australia. And they brought it in and they couldn't figure out how to use it. (laughs) They could only make clips of about uh, seven to nine seconds long. And so that signature sound where you have the repeating beat and the receding, you know, and you just have a series of loops is entirely because they didn't know how to use their tools. (laughs) 
amazing. <laughs> well, now, now, now I know why closer is so sticky. <laughs> <laughs> well, it really, it launched, it launched a sound. It was, it's not the seminal sound by any means, but I mean, it, it, I'm sort of fascinated by how we're driven forward, particularly in the arts by our, our inabilities as much as our abilities. Yeah. Well, it, I also, to, to your point, it sounds like it's simply, I mean, we, we, we don't see it as a mistake now because it, they made it work, but they're actually working through like, oh, we don't know how to do this. So this is what we're going to now work around. And our mistake is now something we can sort of put into the music, you know? Like, I don't know if you had any friends that were film students, but, you know, they'd be like recording a short film and the cops show up to tell them to fuck off. And they're like, oh, my God, this is good footage. Let's use it. Let's use it. <laughs> it's totally like that. <laughs> I mean, uh, so uh, what was the other one that we were talking about? Uh, well, you had mentioned the Lord of Light one, uh, Kurt, because obviously – uh, at you know, we had already we had covered this by now, uh, and we talked about it a little bit. Um, doing the other one is a little space bit of is deep. Uh, is space is deep. Well, yeah, I think that space is deep. Uh, what do we do? Space is deep uh, first because that one's like that one. I do two. believe. Yes, I, it is in in fact track two, and and I I wanted to mention it because it does incorporate like that what you had er, earlier said you know like it does sort of incorporate like the sound of like Age of Aquarius sound and also the space age sound you know it's just sort of like a an interesting uh, sort of melding of the two. So uh, let's put that on for a little bit. Yeah, that 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 sort of uh, spacey sound. I don't even know what the instrument that they they would use. I, I guess it's the synthesizer, right? Yeah, there's it's there's 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 synths. There's uh, acoustic guitar. Um, there's kind of like very sincere uh, vocals. It's a really it's a really fascinating track, um, and it is it is based on uh, the Black Corridor by Michael Moorcock, um, which I have not um, read, but it is essentially a kind of like Oh my god! Post-apocalyptic novel. Have you read it? It is the grimmest. But well, it's in the top three grimmest books I've ever read in my life. <laughs> sold, fucking sold. <laughs> yes, awesome. the 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 first the the first one being uh, the novelization of Grave of the Fireflies. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, Thomas Dietsch's The Genocides has to be up there somewhere. But like in this one, um, prejudice and xenophobia acts like a disease. So that oh, people God. over time, it's like, well, you know, I don't I don't trust those people living over on Jersey Street. The Jersey Pe Street people are genetically interfer inferior to us. And have you seen their teeth? Like it just gets worse and worse. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> but amazing. But and I, I'm I'm glad to have that that um, context, though, because one of the things that I think sets apart both the sound and the themes of Hawkwind is this kind of like proto-punk obsession with urbanization and its consequences to, to borrow kind of a Ted Kaczynski uh, phrasing somewhat, somewhat unintentionally. Um, <laughs> and I, I think this is where you start getting this sense of like, you, you get into this, uh, it, it's, almost like a prelude to a Thatcher era. We all live in the city and the city is fucked sort of viewpoint that, that punk picks up. Um, and Hawkwind has a lot of that in their songs. Like the same album has a track called urban gorilla, 
um, which is very much about that that same kind of thing where it's like we're all trapped in the city. Society is, you know, running amok. It's like losing touch with itself. It's out of control. And we are just people trapped within it. Um, I didn't know that about the Black Corridor, but it it perfect it it perfectly fits. Um, because like that's something that they would increasingly become kind of obsessed with as as a band. And again, it's it's what feeds into punk, essentially, which like kind of loses the science fiction trappings and just kind of goes, Well, that's what we're living now, right? Like like punk is essentially Judge Dredd without the sci-fi part. It's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just regular Judge, I guess. Yeah. So, um, Kurt, would you? I mean, do they do any songs with a positive outlook? Like, I'm not hacking on them, but I just, I find this perspective really interesting. Um. Yes. Uh, I would almost say that this is one of them, in that, like, I think, I think this song. Um, there's one called, uh, oh gosh, what is this called? What the hell is it called? The refrain is, uh, you better believe it. I don't think that's the actual name of the song. Um, they have a lot of songs about escaping to space and that tends to be positive in a very kind of like heavy metal type way. And I, I mean, I mean the movie slash anthology heavy metal, not, not the, the genre where it's like earth is fucked, but we can take to the stars. Um, that, I think that's, that's kind of, that's maybe the positive spin that you get from Hawkwind is this sense of like the potential of space. And I think you also get that in science fiction around the same time. And, you know, like R Roger Zelazny certainly touches on that, you know, a, a, a bit in his works too, of like, you know, we, you know, he, he has stuff that, that starts with things like uh, Damnation Alley um, and is like, well, Earth is fucked. But then you also kind of get stuff where it's like, but out in the stars, we can go and find our destiny. Um, and then even that's a bit ambiguous, but it is like the potential to escape Earth, I, I think. And I, I do think you see that in Hawkwind's themes as well. Yeah. Uh, Damnation Alley is a Hawkwind song, too, isn't it? It is. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I believe it is. <laughs> Perfect. So I think uh, the the track that you're you might have been referencing to uh, earlier, uh, Kurt, is or at least the one that is fits this description that you just mentioned is uh, at time we left this world today, which uh, is also number two. This is the number two song that is now stuck in my head, uh, partly because it's like it's got like this weird sort of almost funky. Uh, intro and it it just has several like bridges that just change everything up. I, I I don't know what you think about it, but this one is it's also like super long. So let's let's listen, let's listen to some of it though. Yeah, let's let's do that. All right. Wow, that's a hell of a song, right? Damn. Right? I, okay, yeah, that almost reminds me of like a Parliament Funkadelic type kind of vibe, where it's got that kind of like that kind of like bouncing groove to it. It kind of like comes mm -hmm, and goes. Mm -hmm. That's a really yeah. I love I I love that song. It was not fresh in my mind, but I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those songs that it just it's long, but it also makes sense because it has like all these weird like little asides and like it'll have a bridge that just changes up the the tempo a little bit. It's just it's wild. I I, I love it. I love it. Um, and just so you know, uh, earlier this evening, uh, I I I thought that um that my 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 partner my wife had known about this already and she's like oh well, let's let's do it and she's like damn <laughs> immediately like texted <laughs> texted like five friends you got to listen to this now man that's really Pete, cool yeah Pete, can i ask you a question how did you find out about hawkwind um it was he it was referenced by michael moorcock in an interview 
Okay. <laughs> That's a fair answer. How many people went that way, you know? <laughs> <laughs> So what, what, well, was this know. was this something that you were listening to, uh, you know, like at you know in at not I I don't want to say at the time I know I know I I know you're not you're not that old, um, but uh, <laughs> you know, was this something you were listening to, you know, when you were when you were playing D and D and you know the like the late eighties, like, like what you know how, how does this fit into your life uh, textually or uh, I sonically? left college in the early sixties. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, um, I, it was definitely in college and I had some friends who were very much into, uh, we, you know, the people who are into a, a style of music, but they have to go so obscure. So there's no chance that somebody else touches it. <laughs> yes. So like, I knew some guys like that who were really into like prog rock and psychedelic rock, but only, only on the very fringes. And there was enough overlap with these guys that it came up and the combination of that and me having read that interview meant that I, um, well, I, it's, it's been, it's been 30 years. I could say this, I got stoned (laughs) and yeah, I mean, and I, they're, they're a very interesting band. I mean, what's funny is they're more interesting to me now than they were then because it was, it was background music and, the purpose of music was to make me appear to be cool at the time. Yep. <laughs> Pete, you are cool. Don't worry about oh, it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I've, well, actually, <laughs> I, I've given up, which is probably what makes me cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's funny. This is uh, Hawkwind is a terrific college band. Um, and I, too, discovered them in college. But I discovered them. Um, I was working uh, at Barnes & Noble. Um, and, uh, my manager was a gentleman named Dean Cotts, who I mentioned because he is a really terrific, uh, comic artist and, um, he has done, uh, some, ball- he, he's, he's like a professional comics artist now. Um, like illustrator, I, I guess you would say, uh, he's done a, he's done, um, a, uh, work on a, uh, licensed Mars attack series. He did uh, a Baldur's Gate uh, series for uh, Wizards of the Coast. Um, he's done a bunch of like original work. He's done like like a James Bond um, licensed uh, graphic novel. Uh, really terrific artist. But uh, I, I knew him when he was the manager of the textbook department at the University of Pennsylvania Barnes and Noble uh, College Bookstore. Um, and uh, he turned me on to a whole bunch of different music and comics, um, largely by just being like. Listen to the here. Just take this and just listen to this. Or just take, like take this and read this. He he once gave me like a duffel bag filled with like uh like Red Sonia and uh, Conan Dark Horse comics. It was like just just read these. You'll you'll like them. He was right. Um, and he also gave me a bunch of jazz <laughs> uh, CDs that he burned. And he also gave me two Hawkwind um albums. One of them was Do Rami Fossil Lati Do, and the other one was Hall of the Mountain Grill, which I believe their next album. Um, which also has a bunch of science fiction stuff on it. And man, was he right. Um, and I sat around, you know, smoking weed and listening to these albums in my, you know, shitty apartment in West Philly in, you know, like 2006, 2007 or so. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great college band because it's like it's like a vibes band. It's like this, this is not a band you're going to put on at a party. Be like, check this out. Everyone's going to get up and dance. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that would be incredibly cool if you did. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine if this like is the 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 lead in song? Like any one of the tracks here was the lead in song for like at your local stadium, you know? <laughs> Instead of yeah, you ready for this? Um, <laughs> um, speaking of dancing, though, should we talk about uh, Stasia? Stasia? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, if it's Stasia, uh, forgive me. If it's Stasia, well, whatever. Yes, <laughs> let, let us let us talk about uh, Stasia or Stasia. So, so Hawkwind was known in part for their live show, um, which was very ahead of its time. Uh, they had like really psychedelic, like lighting, really ridiculous, um, you know, like psychedelic visual shows kind of like the precursor of like a laser show sort of. Um, and one of the things they incorporated uh, was uh, dancers in particular, one dancer named, I think her name is Stasia, I think is the pronunciation I'm going to um, 
who was a is a very tall statuesque woman who would cover herself in body paint and take off all of her clothes and just dance around. Um, and she basically did like interpretive dance along with Hawkwind's songs. Um, and they were playing these like huge festivals at like the Isle of Man. They played Wembley Stadium, the old Wembley Stadium. Um, and uh, people would just lose their shit about it. Um, there's like contemporary write-ups where, and th- th- this amuses me, people wanted to see Stasia get dressed because they'd already seen her get undressed. And so they're like, what does she look like with, with, with clothes on? Um, <laughs> and the, the lore of the band is that uh, at, you know, at some concert, she just kind of got up on stage and started dancing. And they were like, we want you to do this all the time. Um, now that may be apocryphal and, you know, kind of like blowing smoke a bit. Maybe it, it seems also likely they just kind of hired her. Um, but it it added a uh, a very David Bowie-esque like visual aesthetic at a time when bands didn't really have that. Where like a band was, you know, it was people who would go up and play music and the music was the show. And they were like, no, 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 like there's a whole performance aspect to this that we can convey uh, alongside with this. Their their drummer also was known for taking up all, all of his clothes and playing in the nude, too, uh, I believe. <laughs> Mad respect. I mean, yeah, I, 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 yeah, no notes. Are, um, are either of you familiar with a band called The Crazy World of, of Arthur Brown? No, I am not. No, it's a British prog band. Their most famous song is the track Fire, which you if you've seen Hot Fuzz, uh, the uh, Edgar Wright film, they play prominently. And that goes fire. Dun, 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 dun. Anyway, you, you, yeah, yes, exactly. That that is the crazy world of of Arthur Brown. They were uh, active around the same time. They did something very similar with like mostly nude dancers. Uh, they also had um, uh, one of the members of the band would wear like a like a cow skull that they would set on fire while they were wearing it. And so they'd be like fire shooting out of their their head. Um, and it, it's this blending of like performance art and music in a way that I think is um, speaks to one of the fascinating things about this era, which is the sense of science fiction becoming tangible. And bands and artists being like, oh, if it's becoming tangible, we can create a science fictional experience that goes along with our science fiction music. And I think that's what Hawkwind was essentially trying to do of being like, well, we're going to create a moment of futurism, a brief instance of the future in, in the present by making not just music, but like performance art, essentially. I think that's really fascinating and something I would like to see more of today, I, I think. I have something I want to say about Stasia really quickly, and it's a bit juvenile, but in the in the initial press releases about her, one of the things that they said again and again is that she was bisexual and her current partner is Roy Dyke. And I'm like, that really checks all the boxes. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) I said it was juvenile. It's. She's fascinating though. Like she is, she is every bit as much an artist as as the other members of Hawkwind. And, and I, I think it's fair to call her essentially a member of 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 Hawkwind at the time. Although you know she didn't play an, in a musical instrument. Um, like she, if you look up interviews with her, she has very thoughtful things to say about like what she was trying to convey about the music. And like I, I don't know if the, all that you know came across to like you know a a working class Liverpudlian audience. You know, in the the early to mid seventies, um, but like there was an intentionality there that I think you get with the best sort of science fiction. So I, I think it's it's a really interesting kind of parallel with with uh, the art and the, the music. Yeah, I, if if I can go back real quickly to your comments on science fiction, like at the time, I, I totally understand it too because you know, like. Late sixties, early seventies. You know, we 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 had this at least worldwide. There was this idea that you know we were catching up to the future that we thought would happen, right? And and to your point, I just wonder if to your point about like, well, why don't we see that more often now? And it's, I think it's part of the the same sort of. 
I guess, doldrums, I would call it, that a lot of sci-fi seems to have now, where we've we've passed the future that we wanted. We don't know what lies ahead, and we've got sort of like- Or even, we do. Gibson. What's that? Or we do know what future yeah. lies ahead, and we don't want to get well, there. Well, there's that. But I mean, it, it's, it's, it's sort of even when you get- Gibson saying, yeah, my idea about AI is that was sort of not, not really accurate <laughs> um, and goes, well, we got the stupid version of that. You know, in so many words, he says that we got a much stranger and sort of less sort of directed intelligence AI type of system when he he's talking about like Google search engine and algorithms and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway, uh you know what? Fuck that. <laughs> it is something that that is interesting because, like, for instance, um, newer things uh, like solar punk. Who knows? Maybe maybe that will be part of, you know, a factor in the next sort of idea of sort of science fictional themed rock or music in general. It could be anything, really. Yeah, it's and and it's tough because like obviously probably the most the most science fictiony genres right now are backwards looking things like synthwave of which I am a huge fan but mm-hmm. it's very much like it's almost like a circular wish like we we wish that we could jump the track back to the future that we expected in 1985 mm-hmm. um yeah. and maybe by putting neon on everything maybe we can make that happen i mean that's certainly what i'm trying to do <laughs> um and, and and it's funny yeah because like when hawkwind was making this music they were certainly not like overly sanguine about the prospects of the future you, you know that they have a lot of songs about alienation the music is very you you mentioned that like driving beat. A lot of their songs have this beat that's kind of like dun 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 and which is something you hear in like punk you know, just mm-hmm. a little bit later on um, of this kind of like mechanical um, industrial sound almost. Uh, it certainly wasn't positive, but it was a sense that there was a future that was coming. And I think now, as has been widely observed, we don't really have a future in mind anymore that we can make music for anymore. Um, we make music for the futures of the past that we don't think are happening anymore. Well, <laughs> maybe, let's, listen, maybe that, let's listen to Lord of Light. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, <laughs> yeah, let's let's do it. Yeah, let's let's uh, listen to a little uh, clip of Lord of Light there. One of the things that I love about that track is that it's not actually attempting to adapt the novel, The Lord of Light. Um, mm-hmm. Like if you read the lyrics, they don't actually really have anything to do with the novel. I um, was trying to square that circle and I finally in desperation said, well, it's about the Rakasha at the beginning. I couldn't figure it out. It It, it could be. Let me. Let me actually look at them because I don't actually know. And of course, now I'm getting the uh, the, the the Iron Maiden um, lyrics. There we go. Yeah, you're right. Um, the elements that gather here upon this earth, upon this hill, shall cast. You're right. Yeah, it, it's got to be about the Rakasha. It's got to be like Robert Calvert read like the first you know forty pages of the book. It was like, all right, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or, you know, uh, rightly, you know, like as a, as a storyteller, rightly identified, where's the more interesting story, the colonizer or the colonized? True. Yeah, true. Um, I mean, it, it, it's definitely, yeah, I, 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 
I have to say that I hadn't really looked at the lyrics before uh, before now, and yeah, I think Pete's Pete's got it. Yeah. You know, I felt like I didn't prepare enough for this, but I'm feeling a lot better, guys. Thank you. That was very empowering. <laughs> yes. See, there you go. Uh, Pete, I I have no knowledge of I, I knew I knew nothing of Hawkwind uh, two weeks ago. And now I know slightly more about Hawkwind. So, you know, so you're, you've got you've got this. Let, let me let, let me offer a little bit of fun Hawkwind. Um, facts uh hawkwind really liked drugs um you may be surprised to learn as a band um huge fans of drugs uh especially lsd big big fans of lsd um to the point that don't please don't sue me surviving members of hawkwind uh it it may be that they were personally responsible for distributing lsd to their own concerts um (laughs) Uh, and, um, they had multiple members leave the band because they had bad trips, uh, at or during concerts. Um, they had, uh, concerts where like members of the band couldn't play because they were too fucked up on, on drugs. Um, Lemmy was uh, effectively kicked out of the band, um, because he used the wrong drugs. Like Hawkwind loved LSD and Lemmy loved amphetamines. And Hawkwind was like, no, no, no. Like we're an LSD band, not an amphetamine band. So they ultimately <laughs> kicked him out of the band, um, not for doing too many of drugs, but for using too many of the wrong uh, drugs. But but um, he was arrested at, uh, well, I think on a tour in the U.S., because they thought his amphetamine was cocaine, and, and I believe amphetamine was legal at the time. So they were like, oh, this is not the now illegal drug. It is the then illegal drug. Um, and uh, this is kind of like a theme with, with Hawkwind where um, just like they are a drug band. And I think you – I think at the time um, – are, are, are either of you familiar with the concept of like the, a, a psychonaut? Uh, somewhat. Yeah. So, so for, for listeners, um, a a psychonaut is someone who believes or suspects that we can learn more about the human mind and the human experience by taking copious amounts of psychedelic drugs. And that at some level, we maybe even have a duty to kind of bend and twist our own minds by taking various legal and illegal drugs um, to distort our perception and, you know, uncover hidden truths. Um, and Hawkwind, I think, were very much seem to have been about this, um, where, like, there's an element of, like, they are striving for the future. And one way of striving for the future is to take a lot of drugs and experience it within our own minds. I, um, I have I, a confession I, to make here. Go for it. I in in late high school, early college, I was definitely a cosmic trigger dude. Robert Anton Wilson. Yes. Getting yes! high off of nutmeg. <laughs> Same, dude. Same. I did a lot of salvia in uh, in, in college, a, a, a great deal. And then I would just write down my notes and I would post it to. Uh, <laughs> oh, my to, God. Uh, the waking dream book. <laughs> yes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you don't actually learn very much. I learned that part of my brain believes that my body is like the Megazord from Power Rangers um, with like different me's controlling different limbs. Uh, I don't I, I don't really feel like that's much of an insight, uh, but it certainly seemed meaningful <laughs> at the time. Well, I mean, my let, let, let's save everybody a lot of trouble here. And one of the things that you discover is that the things that your brain considers interesting are not the things that you consider cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a dark journey. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. And, and, you know, to that point, I think that comes through in the music again, like so much of this is like, is about like dehumanization and skepticism about, you know, the role of humanity in the future. And 
I think that doing a lot of drugs will do that to you. <laughs> it's kind of amazing they put out this many albums if what they were doing was was psychonautics because like that that'll sap your focus. Into <laughs> wow. the point though, um, so there's another track uh, on this album which maybe we can listen to in a moment called "Urban Gorilla," um, which is drawing not from the future but from the present as an instance of the present manifesting the future or of the future manifesting in the present. Um, Urban Gorilla was, um, I don't know if it was inspired by, but it came out at the same time as the IRA doing a bombing campaign in London. Um, it was actually, uh, the, the the BBC wouldn't play it on the radio because it was seen as an endorsement of uh, the IRA's bombing campaign um, in, in London. Uh, and it's this interesting, like, coalescence of, like, like we feel the future is coming and we see a snippet of it here in the moment, um, mm. almost. So it's, I don't know, it's it's very, uh, it's it's uncanny, I, th- I think, is, is the right term for, for me. All right. So let's give it a listen. And that was Urban Gorilla. Um, so, uh, so what made you? Uh, I mean, th- this is basically the part of the, the the past coming coming home to roost in this na- this uh, coalescing future is what you're trying to say here, Kurt. Yeah, exactly. It's it's um it's the sense of like we all live in the future whether we want to or not. And is this a future that is amenable to mankind? Um, so, like, and also, it is predictive of the literal future of music, where, like, this is essentially a punk song, right? Like, mm-hmm. the lyrics are, yeah. I'm an urban gorilla, I make bombs in my cellar, I'm a, derelict, I'm a derelict dweller, I'm a potential killer, I'm a street fighting dancer, I'm a revolutionary romancer. And it's, it just kind of goes on like that. And it's like, this is, this is a punk song. It is both about a vision of the future as dystopia and a vision of the present as a harbinger of that 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 dystopia, which I think if you look at sci-fi in the 70s, that is very much where it was kind of stuck, was the mm-hmm. sense of like, we are emerging into modernity and we don't know what that means for us, the humans in this picture. We only know what it means for the world. And it seems to be dehumanizing. And I think if you look back, um, I think it's it's very very prescient. Uh, but it's prescient in kind of like a, like an innocent way, right? Like that that kind of urban, that kind of like early, sorry, like, like early seventies punk, where it's kind of like a like I'm just mad. I'm mad about what's going on right now in the present. Um, yeah. And you would still be mad <laughs> if well, you were I mean, mad it, about that then. It- it brings to mind uh, like there were uh, a perhaps a handful of, of different books that had like this weird um, I don't want to say it's like apocalyptic, but it's definitely like in that vein of, you know, a, a hell world of crime. And uh, like, for instance, there's, you know, like obviously the judge dread becomes that uh, later on. Uh, but, but something like uh, what is it? Is it woman at the end of time is a is a title that uh, it, this is also written like in the I believe is like 73, 74 the, Mi- uh, or the Michael Moorcock stories. Do you mean? Uh, no, no. This is something else. Uh, OK, let me see if I can look it up. I'm sorry. Look, uh, um, woman at the edge of time, my mistake. Uh, yeah, it's a, a 1976 novel. But yeah, Marge it, it, Piercy. It's, I'm sorry, Marge Piercy. Uh, yeah, Marge possibly Piercy, the yeah. first cy- uh, cyberpunk novel. Ooh, ooh. Mm-hmm. 
also a feminist classic. Um, but, but yeah, like these are these weird sort of urban anxieties, you know, uh, something to do with, you know, the city, the city and the, the people, it's too many people, you know, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird thing because it, it then feeds into like that eighties, uh, power fantasy of like, you know, the, all the, the late seventies, early eighties, you know, all the death wishes and whatnot, be, you know, this is what that becomes later on. Got to take those cities back. Yeah. It's, it's uh, a sense of, it's a sense of almost like living in the future now. Like we live in the future and we haven't caught up in our perceptions of it. And I, I think your, 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 um, evocation of death wish i think is exactly correct because that's kind of like the like society's coping mechanism uh for urbanism and modernity right is a sense of like oh well what if somebody fought back against that falling and down fought back against against the punk exactly exactly mm -hmm. yes exactly yeah. 18 years later you would have falling down doing the, the exact same thing um and I, I think we've never really come to grips with that where it's like we feel as if we are living in the future but we are people of the past. Like we still expect the past. We we still, for some reason, expect the past that our parents expected, right? Um, yeah. But we have been living living in the future for a long time now, and we still have this sense of like displacement and inhumanity. And I think that really that comes through in the music, and it comes through in the science fiction of the era in this really fascinating way of like, we've arrived in this world that isn't built for us. It's built for something we can't quite grasp and we can't quite see. And we want to smash it or rebel against it or change in some way or transcend ourselves. We want to do something to keep up with it. Um, and I think yeah. that's why to kind of wrap it back around. That's why this music at some anachronistic level still feels somewhat timeless because the anxieties that come through in this music and in the science fiction that it draws from are still the anxieties of today. We still feel like we are living in an alienated, you know, urban wasteland. Um, we don't grapple with it in quite the same way, but we still feel that way. We still feel the calling of the beyond of space and the desire to transcend ourselves. We still feel the mechanism of modernity. It's just that we, we haven't really progressed in our ability to grapple with it as, as people or as a society. Well, I mean, it's, it's also, it's in that feeling that you've, you know, we, we joke about it, you know, it's all going faster folks. Um, and yet at the same time, you know, we're, we're accelerating towards a future that becomes even less predictable, um, which is, you know, that that's really sort of the anxiety there, right? We, we, we don't know what, what lies ahead, but also uh, whatever mechanisms we, we see around us seem to be sort of chugging along at even faster, you know, extracting things faster. And so therefore, you know, we, we have these same anxieties, but, but then as we've mentioned previously, you know, now it's, we're going back to the nineties folks. Somehow we're going back to the nineties. I don't know how this happened, but I guess we moved one decade ahead in our nostalgia. It's so weird. Well, I don't know if you've seen Lost, but, you know, we have to go back. It's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to the coexist chapel. Thanks, Pete. I mean, I, I mean, you know, to, to that point, there's there's bands um, now. Uh, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard is one. Uh, Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats is another. Um, that are feel explicitly inspired by Hawkwind. Um, King Gizzard definitely is. Uh, they, they have said as much that are just making the same music, essentially about the same themes, the same stuff. Like we, 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 we have gone back. We're just in this endless loop, um, a, a disintegration loop, if you will, uh, <laughs> as uh, Carlo has uh, written about um, of, of kind of like not, not being able to quite get a hold of where we are as a species or as a society and it comes through in our art and we kind of are perpetually chasing, if not our own tail, then something's tail. Yeah. Well, and with that, we could probably uh, end this entire episode on the last, well, the, the last track on the regular uh, album, which is uh, appropriately named the end. Uh, <laughs> also the, <laughs> 
<laughs> well, no, it has the end. It, it is the end now. Uh, the Watcher, uh, which I believe this is the one that uh, Lemmy had. Uh, it, this was his first composition uh, in the band. And uh, he he does bring that raspy sort of weird voice that he has that is not a singer's voice and matches it with like some acoustic guitar and whatnot. And it's, it's really sort of interesting to listen to. Uh, and a, a fitting end to the regular album. Uh, there are, you know, the, the Urban Gorilla and whatnot were added later on, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, but yeah, let's listen to that one and uh, maybe uh, close it out that way. What do you say? Sounds good. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, excellent. Well, uh, thanks again, Kurt. Thanks for. Uh, recommending this and Pete thanks again for coming around and giving us the deep Hawkwind lore and we'll we'll be rolling out on The Watcher You're very small from way out here The last thing you will feel is fear Gave you a chance to do the right thing 